0: Please stand to honor God's word and enjoy reading together this wonderful passage, Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is the, may you be seated. This is the word of the Lord. Just write for me. When I have a conversation with Dave, I get a sore neck. So much taller than I am. Uh, Well, my voice is a little shaky this morning. Uh, Some of you know I went to Louisiana State University, and uh, last night I was at the Rose Bowl with my son, uh, futilely cheering on the Tigers as we got thumped by UCLA. Yeah, it was a great game for (laughs) y'all. So uh, hopefully my voice will hold up. Um, Let me pray, and then we're going to look at this great passage. God, we are so thankful for your word. We would ask that you would calm our hearts and minds from distractions, that we would be focused on you, that you would teach us, and that we would be completely open to whatever it is you would have us to learn and integrate into our lives. We love you and pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Well, when I uh, met Marla, I met her family and I met her father, Troy Earls. And uh, Troy was a uh, godly man, and uh, a mature Christian, a simple man, worked for the Tulare City Parks and Recreation for 35 years, then he retired. And we got married, and about five years ago, Um, He got a neurological disease that was really horrible, and it affected his ability to speak, and he couldn't um, chew any longer, and so he had to have a feeding tube, and uh, he would write notes and write letters, and that went on for a whole year, and it was kind of heartbreaking for Marla and I to see her dad that way, and you could tell that he was coming to the end of his life. And we were at the end of a school year and I was getting ready to go to Poland and I was going to be able to spend a few weeks there in a kind of study leave. And I was going to go ahead and then Marlon, the kids were going to come later. So we decided to go up and visit Troy and thought maybe it would be the last time we'd see him before he passed on. And so we were at the house and he would write notes and write letters and he would um, visit with the grandchildren through writing. And we spent the whole weekend there and, and then it got time to leave. And when we got ready to leave, Brittany, our daughter, was um, sitting at his feet. I can remember this so clearly. And Marla was standing next to him in his chair. And I would say that he hadn't spoken a word in a year. He would just write all the time. And he looked down at Brittany, because we were getting ready to leave, and Jen just spoke so clearly, don't be like girls when I was young, don't fall in love with being in love. Crystal clear, we heard every word he said, that he looked up at Marla and told her how proud he was of her. He hadn't spoken in a year and it was so crystal clear and he blessed his daughter and was able to speak. And then we left And a few weeks later, he passed away. And it was so clear that before he passed away and was in the presence of God, he wanted to give some wisdom and some blessing to his granddaughter and his daughter. And that's what's happening in Deuteronomy 6 when we read that passage. So I want us to turn there. It's Moses at the end of his life And he's going to be giving wisdom and a kind of blessing to the Israelites because he's actually not going to go with them into the land, the promised land. And so he um, is concerned about the Israelites and their future. And if we skip back up just to the beginning of chapter 6, he's concerned in this passage, all of Deuteronomy is sort of his last will and testament. But in this passage, in Deuteronomy 6, he's concerned about children. If you look back in verse 2, well, I'll read from verse 1. It says, These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live. So his concern is about the Israelite children and their children's children fearing God living in a... A dynamic relationship with the God of Israel. And this is what happens to everyone as they get older. I've experienced it in my own life. As you get older, you get concerned about what's gonna happen to my children and my grandchildren. And that's exactly what's on Moses' mind here in Deuteronomy 6. So in verse four through nine, he gives some amazing wisdom to the Israelites regarding their children and their children, their children's children. And I want us to look at the passage very carefully, and I want to suggest this morning that there's five principles in this passage that are crucial for helping our children, our grandchildren, live in a right relationship with God and live the life he intends for them. So I don't want you to think it's a message for parents. It's for anyone who loves children, which should be all of us. It's a message for parents, for grandparents, aunts, uncles, single people, anybody who's a member of this family at Grace Church. So when we look in the passage, um, I'm just going to read it again because I want us to really, we're going to look at it very carefully. Um, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them in the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So I'm going to suggest there's five principles in here. And when I started to study this passage years ago, and I think the first time I taught this was actually about 35 years ago, is I really felt like the five principles in here reminded me of the David and Goliath story. If you're a children's worker, it's uh, it's a classic. And there's a lot in there for boys, especially. And uh, so it's a story we all know, where David is going to um, go out and fight Goliath who's been coming out every day to taunt the army of God. And he's this giant. And I remember when I was the children's pastor, I was teaching a group of four-year-old boys about this passage. And I got a little carried away in the description of Goliath. And the parents told me after church that their son thought he was the hero in the story. Because he's, you know, this enormous battle champion with the enormous sword and So David is decided that he's going to go fight this giant. And Saul, if you remember in the story, offers him his armor to wear. And when he puts on the armor, he literally can't hardly move and decides that that's not for him. And he goes and gets five smooth stones. And then he goes out. And we know how the story goes with a slingshot. And he slings one of them and hits Goliath right in the forehead. ends up killing the battle champion and is the hero of the story. So children today don't face the battle champion, you know, in the playground of their school or in their neighborhoods. But I wanted to suggest that the world we're living in, there are um, a lot of giants that boys and girls have to face every day. And uh, they would be things like uh, consumerism that teaches our children that the more you have, the happier you'll be a horribly sexualized society, a society that has enormous problems with drugs and alcohol, broken homes, domestic violence, health crises that make them wear masks to school every day. And children face a lot of challenges and giants in the land. And I wanted to suggest this morning that these five principles we're gonna look at in Deuteronomy are like those five smooth stones. And I also wanna gently suggest that when we look at the world around us, there are books, there are podcasts, there are programs that are designed to help our children. Some of them would even tout that they would help our children live the life that God intends. Some of them even have biblical proof texting around them that make them look like they're Christian. Many of them are methodologically, psychologically, pedagogical, everything is proper about them, but there's something akin to Saul's armor. And it's really the world's offering for our boys and girls. what I wanted to suggest this morning, very delicately, is that we should spend more time looking at things like this passage where God, through his servant Moses, gives us specific principles for how to impact the lives of children so they know Christ and live the life he intends for them. So let's look at the passage and let me um, suggest our first principle, our first smooth stone, you might say. He begins in verse five in a sort of shocking way. He says that if you want to have an impact in the lives of children, then you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The commandments I've given you in chapter five should be on your own hearts. So what he's telling them is that you, if you're concerned about your children, you should love the Lord your God yourself and the commandments that God's given to you should be upon your own heart. Meaning that if you want to have an impact in the lives of boys and girls, you have to be an example for them, and the love of God has to flow into your life and through your life into the lives of boys and girls. This means you have to have a relationship with them. It doesn't matter how godly your life is, It doesn't matter how great an example you are if you don't have a relationship with them for them to see that in your life. It doesn't matter how much you love God and how much the love of God is present in your own life. If you don't have a relationship with your children or boys and girls, the love of God cannot flow into their lives through you. So the first smooth stone is you have to have a relationship with children. This includes grandparents, it includes parents, it includes aunts and uncles, the teachers that are working with children in this church. The foundation for your ministry to those children is a relationship, and it's not the same relationship. I realized when I was a children's pastor that my daughter and son did not need me to be a children's pastor to them. They needed a father, and that's a different relationship. Now that I'm a grandfather, they don't need me to be their father. My grandchildren, they need me to be their grandfather. And grandfathering is something akin to being a children's pastor, let me tell you. (laughs) Children need a relationship with you. Men especially. I can remember to this day, going on vacation and holding my dad's hand I think I was like nine years old, and we were in another state, and I knew no one would see me, because no nine-year-old boy ever wants to be seen holding his dad's hand. But I remember the feel of my dad's hand in mine when I was nine years old, and I loved my relationship with my father. And you have to have a relationship with children if you want to impact their lives. It's what he teaches the Israelites at the very beginning. And we all know this. The example that you lead before children is so influential, and you know that. I remember we were house-sitting. Two kids, and their mom and dad were gone. It was back when Marla and I were first married. And I was walking the boy out to the car. He was three years old, three. Marla's bringing the daughter along. She's like eight or nine, and they're still in the house. I'm standing by the car, and he looks up at me and says, takes forever for women to get ready. He was like three years old. Like, where did he hear that? even sounded like his dad when he said it, right? I've watched, I've known some of you here for years. I've watched your children. They talk like you. They walk like you. They have the same mannerisms that you do. Our son Caleb is adopted. We were at the game last night. He does and says things just like I do. And some of them aren't good. (laughs) I remember going to one of, they're not here today, but someone's house. And I looked into the, uh, we were meeting for breakfast. He said, come to the house. And he was in a rush. And so I'm standing in the kitchen and I look down the hallway and the two girls are in the bathroom and they've got shaving cream on their face with Popsicle sticks. They're like three and eight. And they're shaving with a Popsicle stick. Two girls. Because they saw their father shaving. The first principle for impacting the lives of children is have a relationship with them. And since I'm a children's worker, I'm going to help you remember these. Our relationship, we're going to use this motion right here. So everybody do this. The first key is we have to have a relationship with the boys and girls. Smooth stone number two. When he goes on, he says in verse seven, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up we're going to look at this idea of impressing. We're going to look at this idea of talk about, but I want to touch on this idea of when you're walking down the road, when you're lying down, when you're rising up, going inside of the gate, outside of the, in the community down the road, what Moses is trying to say here is that if you were to look at the life of an Israelite, lying down, rising up, walking down the road, through the gates, these are everyday life activities. And, If you study the Hebrew language, they're also what they call merisms. And we use those in our language. A merism is something that uh, basically says from A to Z, top to bottom, beginning to end. Lying down and rising up is a merism. Walking down the road and when you sit at home is a merism. And what Moses is trying to tell the Israelites is, is that we have to minister to boys and girls in the everyday experience of life. And that's our second smooth stone. Children learn through experience. In fact, we all do. Experience has such an enormous impact in our lives. I have a sister, she has six children. And about 15 years ago, she found out she had cancer. It was very bad. And uh, it was so bad, they sent her to MD Anderson in Houston, Texas to be treated. I had a friend who was an oncologist at a church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I was visiting that church a few weeks after the news came and I described the cancer situation to him and he told me that my sister needed to get her affairs in order. That she was not gonna live long. And she had six children. I think the youngest one was about three or four years old. And uh, that was horrible. Now I've taught a lot of uh, sermon, I've taught a lot on trusting God. I've heard people teach a lot about trusting God. I'm very familiar with many passages in the Bible that speak about trusting God. But in that um, period of time with my sister was when I learned what it meant to trust God in a whole new way. Because we learn through experience. Many children learn not to touch the stove by touching the stove. And then you know, don't do that. Uh, praise the Lord, my sister was treated at MD Anderson and has been in remission and is alive today with her six children. We learn through experience. so. The first principle everybody remembers is relationship. Experience is a matter of the heart, not just the brain. So we're gonna make this little motion right here. Children learn through experience. They have them every day. When they come to church this morning, they're having experience, uh, maybe a fight with their brother and sister, maybe not a fight with their brother and sister, mom and dad arguing, mom and dad not arguing. They're having experiences every moment of their life. And it's crucial that we understand that when we're ministering to boys and girls. All right, so then let's go back and look at this idea of impress them in verse seven. And it's the third stone in our five smooth stones. And this is the one that makes me feel old, because (laughs) I'm so old now, the word meaning has changed in Hebrew. How's that grab you? (laughs) When I started teaching this passage 35 years ago, they said that this word was related to the root word for sharpening a stone on a wet, uh, sharpening a sword or a knife on a wet stone, that motion of going back and forth to sharpening it. So that was, uh, and if you go look at commentaries from that period of time, that's what they said the meaning was. So the idea is you're repeatedly teaching the word of God to children. He says, impress them in verse 7. You see that? Them is referring to the commandments that are to be upon our own hearts in verse 6, which is the commandments he just gave in chapter 5. We would understand that to mean the entire word of God needs to be taught repeatedly to our children. But about 15 years ago, there was some archeological find. There was some uh, Semitic language understanding. And um, then it became related to the root word for to say again. Not the idea of the sword uh, stone, this uh, tool going back and forth on a sharpening stone, but rather to say again. But the, the point is, it means repeatedly. So children need to be taught God's word repeatedly in the context of their real life experiences. So the third stone for our boys and girls, for children, your nieces and nephews, whoever it is your grandchildren, is they need the truth of God's word, especially as it relates to their real life. So things like, what does the Bible say about being lazy? What does the Bible say about my grandma dying? What does the Bible say about, I want to use the offering money my dad gave me to buy a donut instead? What's God's word say when your granddaughter tells you that girls at a slumber party called you fat? What's God's word say when you always get picked last for games at school? What's God's word say that you got straight C's? Children need God's word in the context of their real life. So the uh, motion that I developed for this one is they need the Bible, the word of God, so we're all gonna put our hands like that. Everybody with me? Come on, don't die on me here. So we've got relationship, we've got experience, and we've got the truth of God's word, the third stone. The fourth stone is three words, and we're going to make a big deal out of three words, and this is a really tough one. He says in the middle of verse 7, talk about them. Uh, Talk about them in the Hebrew language is sort of a reflexive idea where you're going to talk, and they're going to talk, and you're going to have a kind of discussion about the word of God and their real life in the context of lying down, rising up, walking down the road. And we are not going to have a discussion that has me asking them questions to see if they can get the right answers. Because that's what children all think. It doesn't really matter who it is asking the question. Whenever a question is asked of a child, they're always thinking about getting the right answer. Because when you get the right answer, you are a good child. When you get the wrong answer, you're like I was. So we're gonna get them to talk about the Bible, the Word of God, and their real life. And if you can do this as a a parent or a grandparent or aunt or uncle or a children's worker in this church, that's when you can really help children see the connection between God's Word and their real life. The connection that John made at Mariner's Church when I was the children's pastor there, and he was about 10 years old, and we did a whole teaching about sharing Christ with people who aren't Christians. And it was from the Philippian jailer passage in Acts, and we taught the Bible passage to them, and then we broke up into small groups to talk about, what's that have to do with your real life? And the discussion turned to, who do you know that aren't Christians? And we finally got the kids talking about kids in their schools, and. Uh, cousins, and people they knew that weren't Christians, and John shared that his dad was not a believer. And mom would bring him to church, but his dad had never come to church. His dad wasn't a Christian. The leader of the group even brought up, I don't know if y'all remember this, the evangelism explosion question, back popular in that period of time. If you die tonight, are you going to heaven? And how do you know? Does anybody remember that? Very popular in that day. The next weekend, John was with his dad at a father-son camp out, and they were laying in the tent. His dad became a really good friend of mine. And in the tent, in the pitch dark, he said he heard his son say, Dad, 10 years old, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? And Dad did not have a good answer. Said he kind of fumbled around and said a few things and was like totally convicted that he couldn't really answer that question. And he laid there in the tent, said he couldn't sleep, was so troubled by his son's question. So the next Sunday he went to church with the mom and the three kids. And he went for weeks and he heard the message of salvation. He gave his life to Christ. He served on EGM's board of directors for years. He's a respected leader in his church for maybe 30 years. All because John was able to talk about the word of God and connect it to his real life situation with his dad. So, the fourth stone is we've got to help children discuss, talk about the Bible and real life. Cannot tell you how crucial this is and how difficult it is. You all know that, right? I remember driving home from school with my daughter. How was school? Good. What'd you do today? Nothing. Well, did you talk with any of your friends? Yes. Honey, we could have a longer conversation if you would use more than one word answers. Okay. (laughs) If you can get your children to talk about their real life as it relates to the Word of God that you've talked to them about, you can see God do amazing transformational work in the life of a child. So the fourth smooth stone is discuss the Bible with them, and we're going to do this. We're going to talk about the Bible. Can everybody do that? So here's our four stones so far. We're going to have a a relationship with them, experience, truth, discussion. And the last principle, so crucial to Moses, is in verse 8, tie them as symbols on your hands, bind them on your foreheads, write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, them is the word of God that he's talking about. And Jewish people, Orthodox Jewish people, have taken this passage literally right here. You've seen it. The phylacteries the, on their forehead, it's got the little law written in it. You've seen it tied around their head. And, and the phylacteries up their arms with the word of God in the little black box. That's from this passage right here. And they took it literally and practiced it as such. I love Jewish people, I wanna suggest that I don't think that's exactly what God had in mind when he spoke through Moses here. Your hands are a symbol of what you do, your forehead is how you think, and going in and out of your house and your gate is your everyday life in your home and in your community. And what he's saying is that it should transform what you do, it should transform what we think, and it should impact our lives in our homes and in our communities, meaning we have to respond to God's word. It is not enough to have a great relationship with children. It is not enough to be aware of their experiences. It is not enough to teach the truth to them and even talk about it with them. We need to see boys and girls respond to God's word and do something with what they've learned. Francis Chan says it this way. This is a great quote. Do not fall into the trap of studying the Bible without doing what it says. (laughs) Helping boys and girls respond to God's word is absolutely crucial. As a parent, a grandparent, an aunt or uncle, a children's worker in this church, it's the last smooth stone. Years ago, I was in Mexico in Ensenada, and we were teaching. Uh, actually, it had nothing really to do with children's ministry work. We were teaching our children's ministry team there and the, boards of, uh, the board of directors and some pastors from the community about fundraising. And one of the passages I taught from was Matthew 6, and we did the same thing. We had an ex- uh, experiential activity. We taught the truth. We talked about it. We gave them a response activity, and the pastors loved it. And one of the pastors came the next day, and told us that he got totally convicted about the Matthew 6 teaching, and it was a Wednesday night service in his church, so he decided to preach out of the passage, and he asked people in the church, to uh, the children's workers, to teach the children from Matthew 6. Where your treasure is is where your heart is. So they had been trained in these five principles, and so the response activity for Matthew 6, where your treasure is, your heart is, is obvious, right? We're gonna take a offering and you can give a gift to God. That's your response to Matthew 6. So they had this little straw basket. The pastor said he finished preaching early, and he went to watch the teaching with the children. It's probably the only time in the history of humanity that a pastor finished before the children's ministry, but anyway. <laughs> he uh, said he was in the room. They're passing this little basket around a table, and there's all these kids. There's a really poor barrio in Ensenada, and Um, they're all like getting their little pesos out of their um, pockets. And there was a little boy down at the end of the table, and uh, he pulls his, you know how boys, you know, he pulled his pockets all the way out. He had nothing. He's got nothing to give. And he was embarrassed. You know, nobody wants to be embarrassed. Plague came to him, and suddenly he reached in his pocket all stoked, eyes lit up, pulled out a stick of gum, and put it in the offering as his gift to God. Pastor came the next next day and told us a story tears in his eyes said he thought it was the sweetest gift that God received anywhere in the world. It was from that little boy who gave his only thing he had, which was a stick of gum, responding to God's word. The fifth principle is we got to respond, help children respond to God. So we're going to do this. This is response. you got to do something. All right. So let's go over all five of them. Relationship, experience, truth, Discussion, response. And that's the challenge we have as parents, grandparents, uncles, aunts, and the Grace Church family, is to abide by those five principles. Build a relationship with the children you're around, whoever they are. They are gonna have an experience, I guarantee you, they fall down and hurt their knee, whatever it is, they have them all the time, every day. You don't have to create them like a children's worker does in a class. And then you teach from God, say something about what God's word has to say about their little sore knee. Talk to them about their little sore knee and that Bible truth and how does that help them and have a little discussion with them and then give them the opportunity to respond to God. These are the five smooth stones that God uses to help transform the lives of boys and girls in the face of the giants they face. Boys like Fabian. It's probably my favorite EGM story, one of them. Because Fabian came to a camp that we did in Poland in 1995. That's so hard for me to think that's 36 years ago. He was a little boy, not a Christian. Bunch of non-Christian kids had been invited to the camp. After the first week of the camp, they shared the message of salvation on a Friday night. And Fabian gave his life to Christ at that camp. The next Friday at the end of the camp, they decided to have an outreach. And that whole week had been about following Christ and what it means to be a disciple. And they had a skit plan and some singing, and they invited all the people from the village to this special evangelism. And the pastor was there to preach the message. And when they got ready to go on to the little stage they had, they couldn't find Fabian. They thought he'd like climbed a tree somewhere, it was gone or whatever. And uh, they looked all over everywhere. And finally they realized Fabian was out in the crowd of people. And he had some like Polish little track thing and he was sharing the message of salvation with Polish people. He had been a Christian for a week. In 2000, I went to his church, the city where his church was, and we did a training program for the children's workers in the church. And a lady walked up to me and introduced herself to me and told me that she was Fabian's mother. Fabian had gone home all fired up about following Jesus Christ and had shared the gospel with his mother and his father and they'd given their life to Christ and she was now teaching Sunday school with Fabian who was a teenager helping him. Then right before we left to move back to the United States, a team of Polish people showed up at our ministry office in Kraków, and they were organizing in a partnership with a German church, a two-week camp for children from Belarus who were suffering from Chernobyl. And on that team was Fabian. And he was doing ministry to boys and girls in Belarus as a kind of little missionary guy and was in, uh, in college, I think, at that time. And then I was just talking to the director of our ministry in Poland a few months back, and he told me, as far as he knows, Fabian's teaching Sunday school in that church in Stetschen where he led his mom and um, dad to Christ. Now, that's the kind of transforming work that God does in the lives of boys and girls when we apply these five smooth stones. And it's the kind of ministry that this church has had to my own daughter and grandchildren, for which we are so thankful. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, and thank you for these principles that I've seen used for so many years in the lives of children, to your good namesake. And so, Lord, I pray for... Parents, especially in our church, pray for grandparents, aunts and uncles, Sunday school teachers, camp leaders, anybody who's involved at all with children, that they would be able to practice these five principles and that you would use those to draw children to you in a life-changing relationship. We love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name, amen.